It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Fast enough. Ramadan Running. Hello, I'm Lou Taylor Muhammad, and welcome to Fast Enough Ramadan Running, brought to you by Sports Direct, a podcast all about running during the month of Ramadan. Over this series, I'm going to be speaking to four members of the Muslim community about what it's like maintaining their fitness schedule whilst fasting and getting some top tips on how to ensure we're all looking after our minds and bodies over this month. This podcast is the perfect soundtrack if you're just setting out on an early evening run or heading to the gym. So as the sun goes down, lace those trainers up. Fast enough. Ramadan running. My guest on this episode is Fadumo Olo. Fadumo is a journalist specializing in women's sport who's been working in industry for over three years. Fadumo, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. I'm really good. It's a good I, intro. Yeah, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a good voice too, don't you, don't you think? <laughs> don't you think? And this is a bit interesting for you because normally you're the one doing the interview. So I'm, I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine be kind, today. Be kind to uh, me. No, no promises. But we are here talking all about Ramadan. Tell me, what does Ramadan mean to you? Um, I think for me, everyone kind of anticipates a month. You kind of you kind of get to a few months before, and it's like, oh my god, I can't wait for Ramadan. Like you know, hopefully you reach, hopefully you benefit. And I just think it's a nice moment to pause, reflect, just spend time with your friends and family and people who are important to you, and just ultimately just really appreciate everything you help you have in life. It's one of the you know pillars of Islam, and it's about. Um, forgiveness is about praying to Allah and it's about just really helping your community so I, I love how so many elements of giving is encompasses in, into Ramadan and like being able to benefit from that and do that and you know it's a month it sounds like a long time but you know you've been in it it gets into it and then you kind of just it runs with you and then you're like oh my god I can't believe it's the last couple of days mm. so as always I hope it's a month we all benefit from but I um, know it's really exciting. Are you quite traditional with your approach? Are you doing the full fast? You're not drinking water? Yeah. Are you, um, because there are many professionals like yourself who will say do a wet fast, they'll drink water, yeah. or they might break their fast a bit early because their work's quite demanding. Being a sports journalist, is that something that you've ever delved into or can you do it fully? Yeah, no restrictions. I guess for me, it's almost like, I can, you know, I'm, I'm a healthy individual and I know that I'll get to a point in life where that probably might be taken away from me for any other reason. You, you know, maybe old age, maybe I go on to have kids and you can't fast in those period of time. So because I'm, I'm healthy and I'm able to now, I, I fast pretty much the whole of Ramadan, obviously, apart from the times where you can't. And for a lot of women, especially women who are on their period and, you know, they're menstruating, you miss out on a couple of days during Ramadan and that could be any time for any woman. Mm. But I think even in those days, you miss being able to fast, you miss being able to pray because that's that's what Ramadan is about. So I definitely hold on to the few days that I do have there. Mm. Um, but of course, like like everyone else is hard. I mean, I should have probably cut down a coffee a good couple of weeks ago, <laughs> but I haven't. So I'm going to feel that for the first couple of days. But Energy drain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's, I, like, like you said, it's a month of blessing, it's a month of appreciation. And you know, who am I to like not appreciate from it? 
you're a sports journalist. I want to know, is journalism something that you always wanted to do? And what drew you to it in the first place? Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's something I've always wanted to do. I, I used to be a youth worker and I really enjoyed that. Okay. Um, I worked for a wonderful charity called Exarth, which means Together as One, and it's all about community cohesion and, you know, teaching pe people about different religions and different values um, mm. and showing people that, you know, you can learn from each other's communities. But I think it was whilst doing that, I really appreciated and learned from the young people I worked with that, that you know, when you have a voice, you should use it. And mm. if you've got an interest, you should pursue it. You know, not everyone knows their passion, but you eventually you learn your passion, whether that be maybe for you was at a young age, deciding you wanted to be an athlete. Mm. And for me, it just happened to be in like my early 20s where I was like, oh, actually, you know what? I like writing and I like sports, so maybe I should put them together. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of how it came together. So, in many ways, a late bloomer, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. In terms of journalism, definitely a late bloomer. I, I, I still consider myself a baby in the industry. Like, <laughs> literally, I haven't even laid the foundations. People have been here 20-odd years, and you know that as an athlete. You know, you've been to Olympics where you see the same faces over and over again. Um, and, yeah, the goal is to hopefully break into those faces and, you know, to be someone that is at um, Paris 2024 and, you know, other competitions. But it's not going to all my energy out just yet, just mm -hmm. take my time with it all and see how it goes. Well, it's interesting, I think, that this is something that you came into in your 20s because there's a lot of uh, Muslim women and people in general who are watching, maybe teenagers listening to this podcast thinking, I don't know what I want to do yet. And you can take your time. You can. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think I did a lot of things before I came into journalism. And to, for me, that was just a trial and error. Like, I wanted to be a teacher. I did that for like six months and I decided... It wasn't for me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I worked at call centres, I worked, it's just like really random jobs. I worked admin jobs, I did obviously youth work. All of these things that there was an element of a joy in to some degree, but mm -hmm. it just wasn't what fulfilled me and what I wanted to do on a regular basis. And like I said, you know, everyone has a passion. It just takes a while for some people to find theirs and mm -hmm. took me a little bit longer, but that's perfectly fine because once you find it and you enjoy it, you know, you kind of run away with it. Amazing. And you found your passion. <laughs> and we know it's women's sports. Yeah, yeah. It feels like women's sport has exploded in the last couple of years. From someone that's in it, like you, how do you think it's changed from when you first started to where it is now? Definitely, it's just, it's grown massively, even in terms of attendance. It was only yesterday, from the day we recorded the podcast, that you obviously Barcelona um, played Real Madrid. Yes, um, and there was over El 90, Clasico. Yeah, over 90,000 <laughs> people, and it's become, um, a record breaking, it broke a record that stood for over 20 years in terms of like attendance for over for women's football games. Um, so over 90,000 people showed up midweek to go and watch That's Real Madrid. Crazy when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, and there's even them like PSG and also played and they had 20,000 people that showed up. So there is huge amount of crowds that are growing and that's abroad and even within the WSL, you know, Manchester United have hosted at Old Trafford. Um, Arsenal have hosted the Emirates, they've all had, and Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and they've all had crowds. And with women's Euros coming up in terms of football, there is a huge interest and a huge potential. But obviously, inequality still exists. It's not, it's not all fairies, it's not all rainbows and stuff. There's huge inequalities in terms of pay. You've only got to look at the Six Nations, which is happening right now, and the men's Six Nations just come to an end. Um, though there's no prize money in the Six Nations, the teams allocate or the, the governing bodies allocate those teams um a pot of money as like um a reward for their uh, like for them playing and that doesn't exist for the women's team there's no prize money and no cash gain for them as professional athlete which is completely crazy and then you've got the same obviously in 
women's football, I know that the Women's FA Cup, the prize money is due to go up to three million next year, but that's 10 times less than what is the men's prize wow. cup. And clubs lose out on a weekly basis going to the Women's FA Cup. So, so there is lots of inequality still there that needs to be fixed. Do you see this as one of your responsibilities to speak out um, and hopefully improve? Like yeah, 100%, especially within sports. I don't think a lot of people realise that some of the earlier teams in the Women's FA Cup are losing money in every single round, mm. um, which is not what the FA Cup's about. It's all no. built. Do you know, and that's just one example. But there's plenty of examples in the Six Nations. There's stuff in athletics. There's stuff in um, tennis. All of these sports which have shown that they've got an audience, they've got an interest, but are still not giving women, I guess, an equal opportunity, an equal chance to succeed, because that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. So I do think there is a lot of responsibilities on journalists to kind of bring those stories forwards, and I'm kind of glad to be part of it in some way. That's good, you're doing a good thing. And like we mentioned earlier on, normally you're doing the interviewing. So you've interviewed uh, a who's who, uh, and many Muslim athletes who yeah. balance Ramadan whilst they're doing their training. So I wondered, is there any tips that you picked up just from your exposure to these athletes uh, about how to balance their training during this month, um, balancing their nutrition? Is there any tips that you picked up that you can remember that you could, uh, some gems that you could pass on to our, <laughs> to our listeners? To our listeners. I think, um, again, like we said, I've been really fortunate to interview a lot of professional Muslim athletes. Um, and I think what's really interesting is how it ranges from sport to sport. Yes. Like, you know, I spoke to Hawa Sissoko, who is, um, oh, wow. yeah, who plays at West Ham yeah. women's team. And she said, when Ramadan comes, West Ham are really accommodating in terms of, um, just suiting her schedule a bit more. She, you know, she told me how she does a little bit less weight training in the gym. She, she speaks to her peers about it and just says, look guys, I'm not being lazy. I'm actually, you know, yeah. fasting this month. Um, and obviously American Olympian Dalila Muhammad is another one. That's, yes. Yeah. And uh, she was great. And she said, usually though, she's at times she doesn't fast, but when she's had the opportunity to fast, especially in the pandemic, um, she's appreciated it a lot more and how that's tailored around her training, whether that is like, you know, training at different hours. Sometimes I've, I've learned that a lot of athletes might train earlier in the morning, maybe like, you know, support when they wake up to eat or they'll train closer to when they break their fast. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to learn about these different things um, and how essentially like their struggle is everyone else's struggle because they're trying to do their everyday jobs yes. under like a condition of like no food and drinking. I just find it so interesting that, you know, Muslim athletes uh, or just Muslim sports enthusiasts, people that love fitness, but living in the Western world, where what many people don't understand in the East, the whole month of Ramadan is catered. Yeah. It's the entire country, everybody's fasting. So all shops are closed during the day, things open late on purpose, and there's many things to facilitate those people. And what I think what I gather from those tips, the most important bit for us living in this Western uh, hemisphere is the communication. So you mentioned yeah. uh, Sissoka from, she has communication with her yeah. coaches and they, they know how to handle her. And um, I think that's just, that's probably the, the tip that I picked up. I was going to say, because you must do the same, like obviously as a GB athlete yeah. and with the, um, the Taekwondo team absolutely, and stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think people are there to help you if you let them know what you're going through, because I think in the early days, um, maybe some Muslim athletes would just kind of keep it to themselves. And like you just said, Sissoko said, I'm not being lazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you facilitate training around uh, me, then I can still do what I need to do. So communication, I think, is, um, is the most important thing. And you have interviewed a lot of people, men and women, uh, that both observe Ramadan. 
Have you noticed any differences from the women to the men about how they observe? No, I think it's pretty much the same from a professional aspect. I, like, and, you know, like you said, it's a lot, a lot of them um, have the resources and have the networks to really work with specialist people in nutrition and in mm -hmm. fitness that really guide them and, and kind of tell them how to do. I think it's the everyday people, you know, the people like who well, listen to this podcast or people who just casually run on like, I don't know, a, a Saturday morning or something. Those are the ones who um, probably are coming up with their own schedule and probably have a lot more to kind of insight onto what the differences are between men and women. I was going to say, what does your personal training schedule look like during Ramadan? Yeah, I started this last Ramadan. I started um, going out for runs or long walks about half an hour before I break my fast because I thought it was quite helpful um, just to get out a little bit. Because, um, you, you know, whenever you get into the habit around the first couple of days, you're very tired, very exhausted, so you try and sleep or not, but just to keep your body moving a little bit. And then uh, also because it's so close to breaking fast, if you're thirsty, mm -hmm. you're all right. You've just got to hang on for like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, good. Been there. So, yeah, so I've done that. And then, I, and then I tried to switch it to after when I break my fast, and I quickly realised that was a mistake because, you know, mm. You eat a lot and then you don't want to get up. You want to go Do you know what I mean? So that, and that's the thing. It's like, I think it's like trial and error for people. You kind of work out what works for you. Mm -hmm. So I think this Ramadan, I could definitely imagine myself to go back to the schedule, which is quick run just before I break my fast. Yeah. And then the week where I'm not fasting, go back to maybe running during the day because, you know, I've got the luxury of being able to um, eat and drink on a normal routine. and then, mm -hmm. But then also still benefit from Ramadan in other ways because obviously Ramadan, a big part of it is fasting and praying, but there's also like, you know, giving in charity, supporting people and just having that community spirit. So I'm sure I'll find like lots of other ways to benefit from it too. And now with this podcast, you have the perfect soundtrack <laughs> to that uh, evening exactly. or before you break your fast. And that goes to everybody. I guess just touching on the exercise just a little bit more, do you find it... And I think I know what answer you're going to say. Do you find it tough mentally or do you find it uplifting? No, I think, you know, you get those, oh my God, not even water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. not even water. <laughs> not even water. Or you're getting the, oh my God, you must be so tired. Or that I could, I am. I could never do that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Or, I could never do that. Like those type of things. But it's like the feeling, you know, when everyone is doing something, it's so much easier to do. 100%. And 100%. especially, like I said earlier on, um, if you're on your period, you don't fast during the month of Ramadan, but you'll make those days back. So when I usually make those day, days back, like, you know, I try to time them around December and stuff so I don't mm. have to fast long days. I find that's almost harder because nobody else is doing it. It's just me. Like I get up by myself at three, four in the morning to eat food by myself in the kitchen. Mm. And it's like when everyone is doing it with you, when, you know, the kitchen closes at 5 a.m. and it reopens at like, you know, in the evening. Um, I think there's a almost element of feeling like really uplifted and finding strength in that so I don't actually find it that hard and even from a fitness perspective once I worked out that okay cool I'm not fit enough nor as professional as you are to be working at during my day but I can do it in the evenings and I still manage to do that despite the fact that by the time I actually go out for a run or a walk I've been fasted for like 10 plus hours so it's still somehow manageable. So I definitely think there is a feeling of like mental strength you take from it all. Absolutely. I feel like the discipline that yeah. you need to fast is very, I think it translates perfectly to fitness and exercise. That's why I think many elite athletes are able to do that because they're used to discipline yeah. and fasting. I think in essence is discipline during the, the month of Ramadan if you can keep it up. Fast enough, Ramadan running.
Do you feel like uh, athletes in general get enough flexibility within their sport to observe Ramadan? I think of um, people like Mo Salah who yeah. have broken their fast live on, during the match yeah. and the players surround him and let him eat some dates and yeah. have um, some, some electrolytes. It feels like there's more support than ever, more understanding yeah. than ever. As a journalist, is that something that you've noticed? Yeah, do you know what? I think with stuff like that, because it was only last year that the Premier League made... It was the first year the Premier League made an effort to yeah. actually liaise with the club. So, in the, and it wasn't. It was Wesley who plays at Leicester City, um, and it was in the game against Crystal Palace where they, well, both clubs and the Premier League liaised with each other to kind of bring the game to a natural pause. Mm -hmm. And it was so natural that no one actually noticed. It was fine. And it was. It was only when he tweeted it out um, to thank the club and thank the Premier League to allow him to break his fast in the middle of the game. And that's when it became a huge thing. It's like, oh my God, this is what happens. And But you, you almost do think at the same time, it, it is, at that point it was 2021. It's like, yeah. that, it shouldn't have taken that long to do those type of things. But again, I, I think it's always being um, just unapologetically Muslim in, in whatever space you are and owning that. And then just telling people, actually, you know what? My schedule has changing, it's changing this month. Like, is there anything you can do to accommodate? And is there anything like, I should make you aware of. Because a lot of people just don't know. You know, I, I work in journalism, but equally, I, I'll be telling my colleagues, I'll be like, oh, guys, you know what? Um, I, I'm fasting this month, so I'm probably not going to be joining you on any, like, socials that are during the day or stuff like that. Yes. But if you've got any plans for the evening, just let me know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just as yeah. simple as that. And I guess from a professional... Especially if it involves food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and, and I guess from a professional perspective, it is just leagues being more accommodating, like, you know, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's WSL, whether it's something as, like, you know, the European Championship is happening for you in Taekwondo and so many and and so many other tournaments are happening over the next couple of weeks. And for players and athletes to liaise with those professional leagues and find a middle path for everyone. Because I think ultimately there is space for people mm -hmm. and there is and this is what happens when you have a diverse workforce. When you have a diverse league, you everyone's gotta do what they gotta do type of thing. Yeah, no, no, and I, I think it's awesome. Definitely something that I've noticed myself uh, more recently. I feel like a lot of uh, Muslim athletes and probably Muslim people in general are quite shy. Yeah. So I like uh, about their Islam and I like what yeah. you said about being unapologetically Muslim, which uh, just means being who you are. Like, hey, I'm fasting this month. Yeah. Communicating, you know, help me. I work every single Christmas at work because I have no need to take Christmas Day off. Wow. There's literally, I was just like, guys, I'll take one for the team. Yeah. yeah I'll take yeah. Christmas Day off. You're a bigger team player than you know me. I, mean? I take Christmas off. I. <laughs> You know, I work Christmas, I, I but best believe when it, Eid so. comes around, I don't want no one to <laughs> ask where I am. <laughs> See, I take Eid and Christmas, so I, I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> you can make it work. Absolutely. What's your favourite story that you've covered in your journalism oh, career? What's my favourite story? And you've not interviewed me yet, so... I know. You know so my favourite story to come will, of course, be yours. <laughs> I think one of my favourite stories was I interviewed Ramla Ali, um, who's a Somali boxer yes. who competed at the Olympics. Yes. I'm associate editor at The Telegraph and we have wow. a women's sports supplement and it was in January when Naomi Osaka was the guest editor for that supplement and I interviewed Ramla Ali and we spoke about you know the importance of her heritage, her faith and some of the challenges she overcame to become a boxer and I think that was the story that I you know really related to and really understood and you know I think it was like the first time I was able to use like a Somali proverb in the newspaper and I was like yes ultimate like <laughs> what um, was the proverb you got um, which basically means to move forward and she was Love like it. that's what my mum that's what she said like my mum says that to me 
um, and has continued to say that to me. And that's kind of how she wants her careers to be remembered as, as someone that, you know, moves it forward in some way. So that was cool. Um, I think other cool ones have been like Ian Wright, you know, Uncle Wright, everyone loves yeah, him. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, um, it's a British institution. Yeah, exactly. So Lauren Rouse, who's a GB's para yes, rower. Yes, yes, I didn't know Yeah, she's, oh. she's lovely. Oh um, so you've interviewed everyone but me. I'm everyone. feeling a bit, <laughs> bit offended. We're lining you're up the best Only story. the important people, yeah? I hope you make some time for me. <laughs> what does the future look like for you? Where, uh, are you... Uh, are you happy in your lane right now or is there something more that you want to aspire to? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I, I generally, I, I love journalism. I love being able to tell stories. Both coming from African background, we come from communities and cultures yes. where storytelling is a big part of us. You know, Massive. We, we, you know, you, you'll find parents and uncles that just sit in cafes and just spend hours talking. And, and even, I guess, Ramadan is a big part of that. It is, mm. you, you come to the mosque, you have people from all over the world sat together you know, praying together, but also talking about how their day's been, how, you know, some people break their fast very differently. Some people be like, oh, I ate this breakfast. I was like, well, I ate this instead. <laughs> so storytelling, I guess, has been always been a part of my my culture, my upbringing, and it's nice to be able to share that in a sporting capacity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm loving life. You come from a Somali culture. Yeah. I can imagine that when it comes to Ramadan, you have some very interesting food and cuisine. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about what your breakfast looks like. Yes, the 4 a.m. breakfast. Oh, yep. And what your iftar looks like, your, the, the meal to break your fast. When I was younger and my um, my morning meal, the suhoor, and you know breaking the fast iftar was left in the hands of my parents. I was okay. very much just eating a lot of like, um, we have malawah, which is like Somali pancake. Just like Somali pancakes. Meal. I know. Ooh. Golden, you need to hit up your Swali friends. I, I, I really do, I really do. So I typically have that with some fruit and stuff, um, yogurt, loads of fruit. Watermelon is like standards yeah. in it. Um, and then you just eat leftovers from the night before, so like loads of rice, loads of meat, whatever you can. And similarly, I guess in the evening, it was a lot of meat, a lot of rice, samosas, mm, uh, yeah, samosa. every, everything possible. Um, now, though, when I left in charge of my own food, I tend to just have like, oats, yogurts in the morning, okay. drink as much as I can, okay. um, find my water in fruits and so stuff like cucumber, mm. watermelon, a lot of different melons just to kind of keep me going, ticking over for as long as I can. Yeah. Um, so that's typically my breakfast first thing in the morning. And then when I break my fast, you know, you know, when you eat, you know, like when we don't eat for that long, you can have this amazing meal that's going to be like <laughs> plattered all over the table. Feast, yeah. Feast. And then you have like two bites and you're done. <laughs> typically, like everyone else, that's what I enjoy pretty much throughout Ramadan. But I'm, yeah, help, being healthy has definitely helped even, I guess, when I go out for runs um, now or during Ramadan, it'll be a case that I won't feel bloated because I've been eating good food. Good um, food. Getting back to you being a sports journalist, what piece of advice would you give to young people that want to get into sports journalism? And I especially want to give you the context of young Muslim women. Do you feel like Muslim women are underrepresented? Um, yeah, I mean, in, in, in all aspects of the working world, I don't okay. think it's just—I don't think it's just in journalism, but I think that that comes to all forms of representation. There's not a lot of black women in journalism. There's yes. not a lot of women in journalism. Mm. Um, so I do think there is space for a lot of people. Um, you need, you know, you need, diversity isn't just about you know the skin color of people. It's about their thoughts and their experiences, their cultures and their communities, and mm. you need a diverse group of people to to come in and bring that. Like, That's you know, a great point. Yeah, me, like me and you, we're black, but 
we've got completely different experiences. Mm-hmm. We come from completely different cultures. And mm-hmm. some of us might, some people might look like, oh, you know, we can take one black person on. But it's like, well, you're missing out on 50% <laughs> worth uh, of the experience. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think there is room for people. And I, I, t- I guess in terms of advice, it's just, I always think with journalism or with any other thing, you just got to put yourself out there and, you know, kind of just do what you can. Try and find people that you can inspire to to work with. I think sometimes we have a tendency to look at people who are 10 or 15 years down the line and be like, that's who I want to be. But then you don't see the steps in between that. So from a journalism perspective, make make friends with an intern, make friends with, uh, you know, production assistant, make friends with people that you probably think, oh, um, they're quite new to this, but like, but they're, they're your next step. Mm. So be friends with them, get to know how they got there because that's your next step. And then after that, you get to know the person above them and then you kind of just go like that rather than, I want to be Gary Lineker. So I was like, well, you've got a long way to go and nobody mm. knows how to be back Gary Lineker. <laughs> but Gary Lineker. Exactly. And I think that's important as well. Be yourself. 100%. Be yourself. I, um, I always see it as like, by being yourself, you offer something that no one else can. Yeah. So that's... Tap into that uniqueness, and that seems to be cert- certainly something that. And just use your voice. Ultimately, you know, whatever platform you're on, whoever you're working with, ultimately you're there to share your thoughts, your opinion, and highlight things that you are important to you. And you know, for me, things that are important to me are from my community, from the Muslim community, from the Black community, from for women. So mm. I want to be able to highlight those things, and I make a point about that even in the the articles I am able to write and have the fortunate ability to write. So. I definitely think be yourself and just be bold at the same time. Yeah, be yourself and be bold. You spoke about, you know, being friends uh, with people in the industry and just kind of taking it one level at a time. Is that the model that you took? Did you, was there anyone that inspired you or did you have any role models when you're coming into sports journalism that made me think, oh, she she did it, so I can do it? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I had any particular role models in that sense. I definitely have a lot of people that in, inspire me on a, on a regular basis. And like I said, a lot of those are people or colleagues or people that are, you know, their their dreams are like tangible, their, yes. their work is tangible. Like I can see it. I, I can almost like see it. I see it on a daily basis. I've got friends who work as, you know, and video producers, who work as photographers, who work as journalists, who work as social media editors at various different platforms. Um, and I'm in group chats with them and, you know, they're so helpful, whatever I've got a query which might seem completely like basic. It's like, I'm, I'm so sorry guys to ask this, but they're so supportive. And that's like my foundation and, and this building and that foundation, I feel like ultimately will kind of help me um, in the long run. And also I think, you know, by sometimes when you aspire to be like someone, it's quite hard when there aren't a lot of people like you in the industry, because it's kind of like, I can't pinpoint a black hijab wearing journalist that I know of. I can't see anyone yes. to aspire to be like. So yeah. in that sense, I'm, I'm good with the people who are around me rather than looking up. Yeah, it goes without saying, just the fact that you are in this position, that you are doing so well, you are inspiring many Muslim <laughs> women across the country. I hope so. Oh, you certainly good are. Course. Because representation matters. Of course it does. It really does. And that's so wonderful. Uh, here, we'd like to end with a, a little bit of fun. And I want to ask you the question, who would be your ideal dinner guest for iftar. So after you've broken your fast, who are the people that you want around that table? Oh, people or person? Or, or, or any, any, any. Okay. You've got free reign on this. Obviously, no. I'm bringing it back to football. So imagine with a five-a-side Oh, I like the way you think. You're invited, Latalia. So there you go. Hey, so there you go. OK, I got an invite. You got an invite nice. around I'm the table. I'm getting some pancakes. Love getting it. some pancakes. <laughs> love it. I definitely think from, I guess, from an Islamic and historic perspective, Malcolm X would be like wow. a greater person to yes. have, right? 
mean, we've already mentioned our Egyptian king, Mo Salah. Mm-hmm. And this is getting a very boy-heavy table, just not great for us sports yeah, journalists yeah, yeah. who work in women's sports. Yeah, come on. Zainab, who just featured on one of the episodes she's here. Awesome. So she is absolutely lovely. She's awesome. I can get one more. And then I think from an Islamic perspective, uh, more than anyone, Aisha, radiallahu, peace be upon her, you know, wife of the prophet, notorious for being one of the strong, fasted women in Islam. And I think her history and her knowledge is one that anyone on that table could learn from. And Absolutely. she's far, I mean, you guys are great, but she's far, like, of course, would be of one course. of the best. So, and respectfully, she's the OG yeah, of... Uh, exactly. Of... So I think that would be my round table. And I feel like it's a good, it's a good lot that I've got there. Well, I'd feel... Um, honoured uh, to be in the mix. I, would, I certainly <laughs> would be honoured to be in that mix. Um, it's been an honour... Uh, Thank you for having me. An interview with you. Thank really you. appreciate it. Fast enough. Ramadan running. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check out the other episodes in this series as we'll be dropping more interviews every week throughout Ramadan. Click subscribe or follow wherever it is you're listening to this show, and I'll make sure that when the next show is available, you'll know about it. Also, you can follow Sports Direct on Instagram using the handle at SportsDirectUK and on TikTok with at SportsDirect for more great tips and insights into training during Ramadan. We'll see you next time. Fast enough. Ramadan running. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.